Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Creative Blessings. I am Father Nico Caprice, reporting from Castro Valley, California, the Church of the Resurrection, as everyone knows. Um, welcoming Chris Kotakis, my podcast partner, one more time. Hello, Chris, and welcome. Hello. Hello, Father. Thank you. It feels weird that I'm doing the hosting this time. Normally, yeah. Hey, it's about time. <laughs> yeah, you, get, you can get a break now. Um, Chris, um, uh, in addition to praying that your family and everybody in your community are safe, um, I just wanted to take a moment and introduce a very special guest that we have today. So um, to, to back it up a little bit, um, I was at uh, seminary at, Hel at Hellenic College Holy Cross after my undergrad from 2004 to 2008. And I believe just my last year, I think, if not mistaken, um, 2007, 2008, somewhere in there, maybe 2006, we'll ask him in a moment. Uh, I had the privilege and the blessing of being at the school at the same time that uh, Father Christodoulos Papadeas was also at the school. And uh, he was no stranger to the seminary. I'll let him say a little bit about his background in a moment. But um, Father was, um, uh, I consider to be a, um, a dear friend from that time. And uh, all the students I know very much loved having him on campus and uh, listening to his experiences uh, in the monastic world of our of our church and um, a little bit of his uh, wisdom, of course, and his kindness, most importantly, uh, embodying the love of Christ, if I may say, and of course, his liturgies and celebrating services. Um, I found out years later that, uh, actually, it's funny, Chris, I think you sent me the link. You said, have you ever heard of this priest? And you found something, I think, I think Father was speaking at a, at a church in your area, Chris, is that what it was? I'm not, I don't really recall where it was, but yeah, I remember seeing his, his bio and that he worked for Disney. Yes. And he says, do you know this priest? He might be a good podcast guest. And I said, yes, I know this priest very well. So I called Father and, uh, and here we are. So we are very blessed to have with us uh, Father Grisodoulos Papadeas, who um, is uh, joining us from his monastery in Colorado, outside of Denver. Father, welcome. Blogite. Our Lord bless you and Chris Olson. I'm very, very honored and deeply moved by your just your introduction there, Father Nicholas, Father Nico. Um, I do remember you fondly being at the seminary. It was a great experience that I had to come there for my third time at our blessed Holy Hill. And uh, I'm very, very touched and moved now just to be part of this and whatever whatever ears are going to hear what we have to say, may they be with the Spirit of God so that they can continue to do the good things that we must as light and salt in this world because, of course, we all know that we're in difficult times. Yes. Thank you, Father, and, and thank you for being with us. It's, it's definitely uh, a privilege. So just so that everyone knows, um, obviously, Father is a priest monk, um, and his monastery, you know, keeps a regular rule of prayer, and so he is joining us between services right now. So is this is this after or before Vespers or before Apodigno right now this time for you? <laughs> well, uh, I like I like the way you pose that question. Uh, I would like to say about that that yes, indeed, we strive to keep hours of prayer, regular hours of prayer. But uh, truly, uh, as members of the church, we should like to know that actually our whole life should be prayer. And I mean that not just in the sense that the apostle says for us to pray and ceasing, but that really our lives as children of God, who to some level or another are aware that this is a short temporary existence that we have in this world, our prayer, our lives is a, 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 a hope and a trust, true God, true God of history, true God of our salvation, and 
so everything we do should be prayerful. I mean, we're now. I, I read a little bit of the vespers this evening, only because I have to share with you now, and I'm glad we're on the air. That I uh, like the plan of our speaking today at five o'clock or whatever time it is, because I knew that I was going to be on the road on the way to the Trisagio on a very, very dear priest friend cast on Sunday, on Father's Day. And so uh -huh. actually, I'm on the road, and I'm glad that I am. I knew that I'd be alone and quiet and all that with you. And uh, it's, uh, it's uh, part of what we have to share, too, because I'm going to honor a very, very special priest, Father Peter Harrison, who passed on Sunday. He was 87 years old, and I consider it a great honor and privilege also to be on the presidium uh, of a brother priest who served the church so, so faithfully. I hope this doesn't do, put too much of a wrench uh, in our discussion, but uh, I'm no, on the no. road. So, uh, yes, I read the Troparion of St. Febronia, who is tomorrow. I read her life just to our drive to Cheyenne, Wyoming. Wow. Oh, Cheyenne, Wyoming is where the uh, where the Trisagion is going to be? Wow. Wow. Yes. Well, Father, we definitely appreciate your flexibility. And it's funny, I also, whenever I talk about my schedule, whenever there's a funeral on my schedule, you know, as, as part of my ministry, um, you know, there, there's, it seems like the reaction from lay people is, you know, well, from anyone, even, even the clergy, of course, is that it's a little bit of a downer, but it's, it's simply, and, and again, not to sound uh, extreme or anything, but this is just part of life. I mean, we, we are born into this world and it's a temporary, it's a temporary time. We are citizens of the kingdom. And uh, so, of course, this is part of a priest's ministry. I am floored that you are calling us from the road. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, yes, thank you. Father, why don't, we, why don't we go ahead and start at the very beginning? People have heard enough of me and Chris, I mean, for the time being anyway, more so, more so me. I do more of the talking. But um, why don't we just start with you? Why don't you tell us a little bit about um, growing up, I mean, about, about yourself and maybe how you came into Orthodoxy and when you embraced our faith and uh, yes. maybe a little bit about your background. All right. Um, I should, should not go too far back except to express to and grateful to be with both of you and whoever our listeners are, but also to bring you to the place where I am now in God's beautiful creation. I'm driving on Interstate 25 North, beholding beautiful skies, the skies that never end that are our inheritance, beautiful clouds, uh, semi-cloudy here in uh, Colorado as I approach another hour from now, Wyoming. And I was born and raised in these parts of the country. I was born in Denver, Colorado. And I'm grateful to God to have been born and to be born here to a very, very wonderful, as I consider, holy parents. My father, George, passed to the other world just last year on October 5th. And uh, interestingly enough, I was on this same highway the very day that he passed. He passed at 2.30 in the morning, and uh, our family gathered with him. And uh, we had liturgy that day scheduled, of course, at the monastery. So that went forward. Uh, mother, who aging as well, came near the tail end of the monastery to the, the liturgy with the caretaker that caring for her at the time. And then I got on the highway after the beautiful divine liturgy and we celebrate our Lord's Eucharist. And I made this trip up I-25 to Nebraska because now that I'm in Denver again, uh, His Eminence Metropolitan Isaiah sends me intermittently to different parishes that have a need. And Nebraska has been without a priest, a full-time priest, for about two years now. And that day of my father's passing, as you ask about my background, by the grace of God, 
I still made that trip, which is about four hours. We celebrated the Olympiana the Archangel Michael's miracle. Continuous uh, ministry of the church. The church is the breath of this world. Remember, as we learned in seminary, and we've all read that historic book of the first century, the Didahi, the teaching. And in that, that anonymous writer wrote, what the soul is to the body, the church is to the world. And that spirit of who we are, the body of Christ, is very, very important. And so we continue. We just continue. Uh, we continue in the, the endless person that our Savior is. And I'm glad to be part of it. I'm very, very touched with talking about this. Today we're celebrating, of course, the nativity of St. John the Baptist, the forerunner of our Savior. And I don't consider it uh, insignificant or happenstance that we're talking on this day because our monastic arm of the church, if I may say it that way, sort of begins with the prophet Baptist John, who lived in the wilderness and lived a very, very frugal life, just glorifying God, just living in repentance, and then eventually just preaching repentance, which are the three basic parts of what the church wants to do and wants to help all of us do, to repent, to live his life, be part of his his historic truth. So when I was a young boy, these things also growing up in the church touched my heart. I remember even today after liturgy, we were talking to a few that came to liturgy afterwards over a coffee. I remember I was very, very moved when I was 14 years old on Great and Holy Tuesday evening in which we hear the hymn of Kasiani. I remember that evening there weren't many people in here. Our church is not always well attended. But that's all right. We're working on it. We're all helping. That's why part of why we, I think, became priests. The lady that was chanting that evening, an elderly lady, very wonderful, devout elderly Greek lady, who chanted the Kasiani. And I remember something changed in my heart that evening. It was very, very significant to my spiritual growth as I followed and the Greek and then looked over to the English translation that she was hymning. And uh, I knew then without really knowing that I wanted to devote my life to Christ in this church. Amazing. Yes. That's beautiful. You said you were, you said you were 14? I was 14 at that time. And uh, it makes me remember how important chanters and choirs are in churches. And you just never know who your listeners may be. You never know what 14-year-old girl or boy is going to be paying attention and trying to get in touch with God when your those chanters and those choirs are hymning. It's not a, a small thing to be part of the people who are glorifying God, and especially in Him. What did the Russian emissaries say when they went to St. Sophia for the first time? We did. That's right. We didn't understand anything that was going on. We did not know if we were in heaven or on earth, but we did know one thing, that is God was there. Indeed. indeed. Of, so I'm glad you pointed that out. The music was a big part of that. Yes. All of the beauty. Who is it, Dostoevsky, who said in the Brothers Karamazov, beauty will save the world. Mm. And the church, of course, is everything beautiful because it's the body of our Savior Christ. And he wants everything to be beautiful and sincere and, uh, and reverent because those 14-year-olds, especially who we're concerned about in our days, especially when they see so many other chaotic things happening, we want them to know by our humble devotion to the true God that... Uh, he is with us. It makes me remember, if I may, uh, I was back visiting my home base monastery on the island of Rodos many years ago. I was there for 10 years, and then my Yeronda sent me back here to Denver under our Bishop Isaiah to 
start another monastic house and help serve our people. But I was visiting my home-based monastery on Rodos, and uh, at the liturgy one Sunday, a family from one of the three villages that are around our monastery of the Archangel Michael, it's called Sadi, from the word Saros or courage, uh, a family that I knew many years ago was there, and uh, their little girls had grown up a little bit. I had been away for a few years, so their little girls who were at one time when I was there, maybe three and five, were now 12 and 14 or something. And they asked if I might not join them back in their village after a church, after liturgy, for a lunch. And I asked my Yeronda, and he said, of course. So I got in their car, and we were enjoying the drive, about a 30-minute drive to their Horyo, to their village. And uh, they told me that they had just been to Australia, where the Papu and Yaya live. Their grandparents lived in Australia. And I said, oh, did you enjoy your time in Australia? It was summertime. And they said, yes. And I said, I've heard they have beautiful churches in Australia. Yes. Uh, the girls' names were uh, Andriana and uh, I'll think of her other name, uh, Eleftheria. So Andriana is the elder. She's about 14. I said, yes, I heard Andriana. There are beautiful, beautiful churches there in Australia. Were you able to go to a lot of different churches? And she was shy and she said, yes, Malista. And the mother began encouraging her a little bit and saying, tell Father Christodoulos what you told me about the churches we went to in Australia. I said, what about them, uh, Andriana? Did they have a beautiful icon? And she shyly said, yes. I said, do they have beautiful uh, choirs and chanters? She shyly said, yes. I said, the, the priests, of course, giving good sermons. She was a 14-year-old girl, shyly again saying yes. But the mother kept prodding her. She said, tell him what you told me. I said, what is it, Andriana? And in a very shy, beautiful manner as a little girl, she said, I didn't like going to church in Australia. I said, oh, no? I said, why is that, Adriana? She said, because every time I went to church, I felt like the people were there because they were supposed to be, not because they wanted. And a very, very telling thing from a 14-year-old girl, but I know that that little girl grew up on the island of Rodos in a small village that is a very especially devout village who, when they're glorifying God in a Vespers, in a liturgy, in a Orthros, in a Paraclesis, are really, truly crying and crying out to God, Lord, have mercy, when they cry that Kiri Aleson every time. She grew up in an atmosphere of real devotion. And I tell it not as the story, not as a, um, a uh, complaint, as much as an observation of how sometimes we might get in our pluralistic, mostly secular society that compartmentalizes religion in a box and puts it on the side as something that's part of our lives, whereas we want to live our lives completely dedicated to God. That's why I said earlier, prayer is just how we live and breathe. It's everything to us because we know we are children of the Most High God. So I, that came to mind now. I don't want to... No, it's beautiful. It's, it's, yeah. It sounds like uh, that reminds me of the verse um, that was quoted on Palm Sunday, out of the mouths of babes, right? Yes. Right, that's right. So, Father. So, back to your statement about Hagia uh, Sophia, excuse me, about the emissaries of uh, St. Vladimir who went to Hagia uh, Sophia in Constantinople. They knew not whether they were still on earth or in heaven. And that's how we have to humbly and in a focused manner always prepare and live our lives, especially as priests and dedicated lay people, that we are there because we know we want to glorify God, we want to thank Him. 
We want to ask his mercy. We want to ask his enlightenment so that we can live whatever time we have on this temporary earth as best possible. And then add to that the responsibility that we have toward one another, and perhaps most especially to the young people who may be there present with us. Um, Father, I wanted to ask, um, it sounds a lot of a lot of your comments already, and thank you for sharing so much. It's beautiful. Um, you mentioned beauty several times. You mentioned how certain things looked and sounded and felt. Um, is this perhaps what kind of got you um, inclined a little bit in art early in your life? Um, or yes. is this kind of, uh, do you think they're connected at all? And you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into that branch of your life or that field? They are absolutely connected, Father Nico, and I thank you for that. I don't know exactly why, but I do feel that I've been given a gift of visual uh, 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 appreciation of beautiful things. And uh, this led to me understanding as a young boy, even in you know third and fourth and fifth grade, that I had a talent of art and drawing and observing things and being able to replicate them in on paper with pastels, with paint and what, whatnot. But I've always been an observer of beauty and of nature and so forth. And it has very much to do with my understanding anyway, since I feel this is a gift from God, how important it is for all of us at one level or another, whether it's visual, whether it's hearing, whether it's smelling, as we understand in the church, all of our senses are attended to. It must be beautiful. Have you ever, by accident, maybe Father Nick, uh, gotten some bad incense? And it just, it's, right, it stinks. And it makes so difficult and crude the, uh, the worship at that time. And you, I, 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 as it's happened a couple of times to me in the past, I, I cringe because if there's a 14-year-old or a 24-year-old or an 84-year-old who feels that yuckiness, if I may use a child, a teenage term, uh, and it, it can change everything. So we have to be very, very careful and we always have been, that things in the church are beautiful and sincere and pure. So beauty, yes, is something that I've felt always akin to and observing in nature. And in, and then, of course, ultimately observing the beauty in each and every person that we meet, because indeed, every person is more valuable to God than all of creation, all of the clouds that I see now as we stroll along here on I-25, and all the heavens and the stars at night, each one of us, is more valuable to God than all of it. That's what is meant, of course, we remember from the scripture where our Savior says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? He's telling us there, matter of factly, matter of factly as the fathers teach us, that every soul is infinitely more important than all the rest of creation because we are God's crowning creation. We are his children. That is beautiful. Chris, I know you've, you've mentioned similar things with, you know, with art yes. and kind of thing. When I sound similar, our stories that when I was younger, you know, I was, I too was, had a natural talent for drawing from age five on. And I was always yeah. enamored with the iconography of the church. And I would be sitting in church uh, weekly, uh, probably not so much as a younger person paying attention to the sermon or the, but just, you know, right. as, a, as a five or six year old, seven, but just in awe of our collection of icons surrounding the church, because we have large murals of my home parish of St. Thomas in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, had, uh, oh, one of, yeah, has one of the great 
collections on the East Coast, and it tells the story of Christ around the dome. And uh, yeah. when we, I was just a very young boy when a well-known iconographer, Philip Hackis, out of New York, redid or did the expansion of the icons. And when He's they so were good. done, I just for years I was just enamored, and I really would was considering to become an iconographer. And that's really, I think, you know, between being a young boy with superheroes, and those were my heroes too, because I grew up in the church, and I, I'm yeah. learning how the this was the tool to teach the people. For, you know, the, a lot of them were not learned, so they used the art not only as a worshiping tool, but as, a, as an educational tool. And right. There may be people that go to church, excuse me, Christo, that sure. never listen to the sermons, but they right. see the icon. Right, right. Absolutely. And, and absolutely what you said earlier, Father, that our, our way of um, worship is very involved with the senses, all of our senses, right. from sight to, to, to um, smell to sound. And, you know, with, when you were saying about the choir, it struck a personal note with me. My wife is a convert. She grew up in the Methodist church and was very involved in their choir growing up. But that's what really allowed her to come into our faith is that she joined our choir and really enjoyed it. And it touched her. And it was a different kind of worship and a different kind of yeah. hymnology. But, you know, and then now I she's in, in not only involved um, that way, but as a Sunday school teacher. And she actually, for the last 14 years, runs her Christmas pageants with the children. How so, beautiful is that? What's yeah. your wife's name, Chris? Janet. Uh, her her baptismal name is Sophia. Yeah, but she goes Sophia. by Janet. Yeah. If I may, having mentioned now about Janet as a convert in the Methodist Church, if I may share just two things about history that struck a bell. And first of all, let me ask you: Did you grow up under Father Emmanuel Pratinakis? Oh, I sure did. Yes, oh. Father Lajos was a great and man. Father Man. Oh, wonderful! Father Emmanuel was a great man. I don't remember, except until this day, with Father Nicholas, when I've ever been so warmly embraced for a, 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 I served at the parish there many, many years ago and uh, was introduced by Father Emmanuel to give a word on a Sunday. And I'll never forget the warm and, and sincere uh, accolade that he gave, but he wasn't giving it just because he knew me and liked me, but he knew that it is important. And he had that about him, that everything we do in the church is important. And so yes. he placed import on the fact that a visiting priest, priest monk, was there. About Methodism, uh, in a, a funny kind of manner, humorous manner, I remember the movie um, about um, who was the first black player to uh, the color uh, line in baseball. What was that movie? Oh, oh yeah, ja uh, Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson. So Jackie Robinson's manager in the film, and it's true, he was a Methodist. It was played by Harrison Ford, and I remember uh, Harrison Ford had it in his heart, he really did, to be the first one to get a black player into the major leagues. And so uh, he had a bunch of, of uh, uh, resumes on his desk of all the ball players in the minor leagues or in college or whatever, of the black players, and he had a resume there of Jackie Robinson, and he went to the line and said that he's a Methodist. He said, well, he's a Methodist. I'm a Methodist. God's a Methodist. We're taking him. <laughs> That's great. So then, now if I may add, in my unworthy service to God in his church, to be the chancellor of the Archdiocese of New Zealand for three years under my Yeroda, who was taken from our monastery in Rhodes, 
He was asked by the patriarch to be the bishop in New Zealand for uh, 13 years, I think he was there. But anyway, in the first initial years, I was with him. And uh, we had a woman in the parish, the main parish in uh, Wellington, very elderly lady who was sort of the uh, old guard. She was one of the founders of that parish. She was 85, 86 years old, Mrs. Vespina. And Kira Vespina was widowed for many years, and she had a caretaker who was a Maori woman. The Maori are the indigenous black people of New Zealand, and many of them are Methodist. So uh, this young Maori woman, 50-ish, was caring for Mrs. Vespina for about 15 years, and she would bring her to church. And this Maori lady, and the Maori people are very musically inclined, she could sing the whole divine liturgy in Greek perfectly and with a very beautiful voice. She had come so often every Sunday and other times to our church. Well, that was fine. And uh, as Kira Vespina was growing old, there was some concern, yes, she was getting weaker and weaker, that, you know, we might someday soon uh, attend to her falling asleep and going into the other world. Well, we got the call one day. The call, and I got a church from one of the ladies, one of the friends. Not that she died, but that her caretaker, the Maori woman, died. Oh. Something happened. She had a heart attack or something like that. And it was very uh, ironic because we were waiting for Mrs. Despina to die and here that younger woman died who was a Methodist. Well, all the Greek ladies loved that gal who was caring for Mrs. Vespina, they knew her for many years, and they asked me, who was also at that time the Proestanmenos of that main church in Wellington, they asked me if I could would go to her funeral. I said, of course we will. So I took my assistant, Father Constantinos, and we went to the beautiful Methodist church downtown Wellington to attend to the funeral of this young woman, who was the mother, I believe, five children. Well, we entered the church, like any church, all churches, all faiths, always have the body or the coffin in the center, up in the front of the church. And this church was packed. You could uh, cut the atmosphere with a knife because it was a young woman, five children. She left ages, you know, just teenagers down to little ones. So we entered. It was packed. We walked forward. Father Constantine and I walked forward, sort of bowed, made our respects, nodded to the family. And then quickly, an usher sort of person uh, escorted us onto the stage. They have a stage. They don't have an altar like we do, but a stage, nonetheless, a, a raised area. And they sat us down on the stage with maybe 10 other persons, men and women, who were apparently pastors or priests or something from other faiths who were also asked to be present. Like, okay, that's fine. We sat in our place. Someone began the service. And then one by one, those people that were on the stage with us were asked to go to a microphone and say a few words. So one by one, they went up, one to say a poem, one to say a prayer, and one to give a reflection. And Father Constantinos nudged me and he said, I think they could probably ask you to go too. I said, it seems like it, I guess. So I began praying and humbly asking God, give me a word that I may share with this church filled with six or 700 people with young families, all Methodist and primarily black Maori people. And so it was my turn and they nodded to me and I went up to the small microphone. Of course, in between there were a couple of hymns sung and I thought very uh, caringly about them we always try to think of the other person, do we not? Well, I thought I'm going to try to give them an encouragement to stay close to their church. So that's what I did. In just two minutes, I simply said, you know, it's a very, very special moment for us. Of course, we know that we only live on this earth a short time, but I'm very, very, very pleased and honored to see so many families here, 
so many young children with their parents, young 15-year-olds, 12-year-olds, be here to honor Mrs. So-and-so and her family, to pray for her. I want you children to make sure you always stay close to your church. You do the best thing every Sunday. Come to church. You'll learn so many things in your lives will be full. And that was it. I sat down to my place. Some other hymns ensued. And then a few minutes later, there was a little bit of a, uh, an excitement because in the front door of the church walked in their bishop, who had not been there apparently all the whole time. And the bishop walked in, and everybody stood. And the bishop went to a high place that they have there in their church to give the real sermon. Now, we were sort of just giving our comments as visitors. And so the bishop came in and spoke for about 45 minutes. Would you believe, and of course, I don't mean this as so much as a uh, comment on the Methodist Church, please, but I do mean it as a comment on some outside of the church uh, groups, Christian groups, and what they've fallen to these days. That bishop had not heard my comments, but smack dab in the middle of 45 minutes of good theological things about the resurrection and our life to come and so forth, the bishop also said, and you don't need to come to church to know Jesus. My heart was pierced. I, as an outsider, was grateful and trying to encourage those children to stay close to their church and threw that thing in there, which is an unfortunate circumstance of what we live in because a lot of these so-called Christian groups teach that. And yet about the beauty of the church and the hymns and the incense and the choirs and the iconography and the color and the vestments of the priest and everything is so beautiful, we know that there's so many things for our people to learn by being in church. Absolutely. Excuse me for the verbosity and the long stories. But... No, no, no. Father, thank you very much. Heaven and Earth meet at the church. another lesson that we should all... Yes. Papuli, did you, did you go to Hellenic College or just straight to Holy Cross after undergrad or... Um... I wanted, I wanted to go to Hellenic College when I was 17 years old as I was graduating from high school. However, it's, it's a telling sort of a story. You know, we, we live in the West here, and uh, so uh, the church is a little bit of an anomaly. And to our own people, and I say that with deep respect for my own parents, I remember one evening at dinner with my parents, my parents, my siblings, I, just as a 17-year-old, put out there... <laughs> at the table, the thought that, well, maybe I could become a priest. And there was dead silence. <laughs> and uh, I'd never heard that mentioned before. And I, again, I say with deep respect to my very, very good parents, but there was dead silence. And uh, I think my said, well, we'll talk about that at some other time. Anybody pass the, pass the uh, corn on the cob. And I knew then that it wasn't exactly something that I can really... Uh, begin to get into. I, I felt very, uh, I'm not sure what the word I want here is, but I knew that it was not going to be easy at that very moment. So, with the advice of some priest, I guess, I think that I knew at that time, I did not push that issue to go to Hellenic College, some kind of an idea like that. And so I went to secular schools and so forth, which turned out to be, I hope, God's will, because it was in my pursuits of going to other schools, secular schools, not knowing what I was going to study and what I was going to be doing, that led me to getting the job that I did at Walt Disney Studios, which was a very, very great blessing to me, among myriad other things, because I ended up going out to Los Angeles to pursue my, my life's goals or to find myself and to find out what I should be doing in this world. And the experiences that I had living in Los as a young 20-year-old were myriad and very, very special. And I saw the hand of God preserve me. I was so scared when I first moved to Los Angeles. Actually, I was 19 as a young man now. 
that I made a very big decision after I had arrived and lived there for in Hollywood, in perhaps one of the more uh, sketchy areas in Los Angeles. I said, I've got to get to church. So on Saturday, I made a practice run because I had to find buses and everything to St. Sophia, our beautiful church of St. Sophia in Los Angeles. And wouldn't you know how God blessed me? I got there about three or four in the afternoon, and I was so happy just to see that church. I knew I was home. Wouldn't you know it? There were some young people, other uh, young adults, who were preparing for a dance that night, and they welcomed me in like I was just their own brother. And it was the it was it was it was the sure coming home for me. I knew in my fear of being away and moving to Los Angeles that I was home because I was at church, and everything went smoothly thereafter. Another another wonderful lesson. If you ever move out of town or uh, go to college, if any young people are listening, find the local yes. church, and there you go. I mean, well, I hope young people are listening. Yes, yes. I mean, <laughs> there are there are some there are some uh, churches that may be less welcoming or have less kids or whatever. But if you find the local church, um, your chances are very good that you're going to meet uh, somebody, maybe some pareo, and definitely be connected to our to our faith of the sacramental life. Yes. Yes. Father, yes. Father, were you going to school in Los Angeles, or did you basically get a job at Walt Disney right after high school? No, no, I was going to school, but I started a little bit there uh, because I sidetracked or put on hold my thoughts about maybe going to Hellenic College or maybe thinking about the priesthood. I didn't know. I was only 17, 19 now. Um, I also, in high school, was very active in, uh, in theater and music, in choirs and in performance. And so I thought maybe, and with the good things that I knew about God at that age and about our lives, that maybe I would pursue a career in entertainment to do my good, my, my using my talents in that field. And uh, I was very blessed because St. Sophia Cathedral was the home parish of the Telly Savalas family. Right. You heard of the famous Greek actor. And his mother was a very, very devout woman, an elderly woman, and an elegant woman, a poet and an artist by her own right. Uh, she, uh, interestingly, you know, she knew that this new young man is in town. It's a parish. We all know about each other. It's like the village. And she uh, very gently befriended me. And I didn't know why, except that I was grateful that uh, she took interest in me. I was a young man. She was an elderly lady and an elegant lady, as I said, a very pious and over a six-month period, I met with her almost weekly. She very gently was and did dissuade me from going into the entertainment field because her two sons were actors and so forth, and they had had miserable lives, so many difficulties in their lives, both Telly and the other son, George, and, and other members of her family. And she saw something in me that she wanted to, and I think by God's grace, dissuade me, and she did, and I'm glad she did, and I'm very grateful, Christina Sabalas, she's Latin, of course, as has Telly Sabalas, and um, that was when I finished my studies, I ended up uh, not just looking into being an entertainer and trying to make my mark in filming, but uh, I, I uh, went to Cal State Northridge, where the head of the business department was a Greek man, Mr. Tony Manos, God bless him, I don't know if he's living but he took me under his wing, and I was able to finish a degree there in business for lack of any other specific now direction, except that in my heart, it was always, always, always recurring that I wanted to study theology. And it was after I graduated with my business degree that miraculously, I just 
tossed in a, a resume to Walt Disney just just for fun. I never dreamed I'd get a job at Walt Disney, but I got it. So I figured I'd take it. But still, in my heart, was the idea to go and study at Holy Cross, graduate study of theology. And I worked for Disney for three years, and finally I'd had enough of the worldly pursuits and so forth, and a lot of other stories involved with that. But after three years at Disney, I, in fact, when I, <laughs> it's interesting, forgive me, but that's why we're talking. I, my resume, I mean, excuse me, my uh, resignation, and you give a two-week or three-week resignation time period, and the very next day on my desk, I was a, as I said, a advertising, one of the advertising divisions. When I came in the next day after I'd given my resignation note, there was a letter on my desk. And I found this letter for quite a while wondering if he did it. And in 1983, I was making $24,000. They opted to making $50,000 if I would stay. And I laughed and cried at, at reading that note because I knew very deeply in my heart, you understand this, I'm sure both of you, that this was a sure help and push for me to make sure that I go to Holy Cross now and not give in to this temptation to stay in the world. Wow, that's amazing, Father. Yeah. You know, I, never, I don't know if yeah. I ever told you this. I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but in high school, I was also very active in theater and, uh, and choir. I think I remember. Maybe. Well, you I remember that about you. If you if you meet me, you see how animated I am. So I don't think I mean anyone. I, everyone I tell that to, nobody seems very surprised. But um, right. But but uh, no, I my my theater uh, my high school was really uh, had a very strong theater program, and it was a lot of fun. I loved it. But it was um, sure. I loved you know being on stage and stuff. And and actually that also grew me for the for the priesthood as well because I I feel I feel zero stage fright when I go out to give a sermon or anything like that. And so I think that might have been part of it too. Right. But but I remember. Sure. I remember very vividly when I got to college, asking myself, um, do I want to pursue this? And thinking about going to the school of drama or something. Um, and Kala, um, in the church, we have other drama, but not the school of drama. But anyways, but- No, um, no, no, it's true. I know, I'm just joking, forgive me, Father, but- Oh, I, I see. <laughs> no, I'm thinking of St. Nicholas Cavasilas, who talks about the divine drama of the, 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 the liturgy itself, because it is the life of our savior. It is a drama, also. I know what you mean. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, yeah, of course. We and we just came, we just commemorated him, I believe, last week, if I'm not mistaken. The Nicholas Cabasi. Really? But anyway, no, no, I don't remember. Yeah. I remember. I remember that very vividly. And there was a big time tug of war. I just everything inside of me was saying, "Don't go, don't go." And there was a big tug of war with um, eventually deciding that I wanted to become a priest, and that's where God was calling me. So I can absolutely identify. I can absolutely identify. I know you do, Nico. I knew that about you when I was with. Father. Thank you for your guidance. Um, Father, yeah. tell us a little bit about what you did at Disney. So you mentioned that you had you told us that you had done, uh, you weren't an animator, but you were an illustrator. Tell us the difference because yeah. I'm, I'm a lay person. I mean, in this regard, I have no clue uh, how these things work and what the difference is. Right. Um, uh, God bless my dear mother who's aging now fast. And please, both of you and those who might listen, pray for Ioana. Uh, my mother, when I was 12 years old, and Chris, you can relate to this, of course. She yes. saw that I had this gift of uh, art, and so she got me in uh, private lessons with one of the finest uh, Western uh, artists of Colorado. His name is William Tyler Marks, of course, God rest his soul. But uh, I had private oil painting lessons with him from the time I was 12 years old. And so I learned the art of uh, oil painting and watercolors, and uh, I, I had a preference, too, for portraiture. So my uh, portfolio that I 
turned into Walt Disney was filled with many of my illustrations of mountain scenes and cattle and uh, cowboys and portraits. Well, they hired me based on a combination of my business degree and my illustration uh, abilities. And so I was hired on as a uh, illustration designer in the advertising department of the uh, educational division at Walt Disney Studios in Burbank, California. Wow. So what we did is we designed uh, brochures, magazines, uh, handouts that uh, advertised the films for institutions of education. And that could right. be at all levels, uh, at elementary schools all the way up to university. I told Father Nico when we spoke a couple of weeks ago that one of my greatest joys and privileges at my part of my duties at Walt Disney was to watch all the films. So I'd sit in the little theater that we had there regularly to watch the films, to be able to pick scenes that I thought were best to uh, advertise their, the films and for different reasons. That's great. What are some of the films? Yes, yeah, so the difference. Yes. Uh, Aladdin some of the fil- comes to mind right now. Aladdin okay. was one of them. Yeah. Um, wow. Of course, all the traditional ones, Pinocchio and Beauty and the Beast yeah. and uh, 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 Little Mermaid. Ones, but, yeah. Right, that's right. Um, you asked the difference between uh, the anim- The animators are the ones who draw yeah. the, the films themselves, and it's a very, very special art, right. which I might say to you now, too, is not unlike iconography, because animation yeah. art, which I did learn a little bit, is, um, what's the phrase? Uh, there's a, there's a, there's a uh, exact uh, formula, it's formula art. In other words, to draw a Mickey Mouse, for example, there's just those basic circles. His tummy, his head, his ears, his nose, and you got him. Well, in iconography, we know that there's formula, too, in how we draw and how we eventually paint the icons, the images of our holy fathers and mothers. And uh, it's a very similar thing there. And I then eventually, too, took up iconography later years. Oh, wonderful. Did you do you paint in your iconography? Did you do an egg tempera the traditional ways or yes, yes. Yeah, wonderful. Bless the soul and may we have his blessings. Archbishop Iacovos sent me with a uh, a uh, sent me the Thessaloniki paid for. What's the word I'm thinking? <laughs> a uh, and he gives you uh, what's the word? <laughs> anyway, Archbishop Iacovos saw something in me. And, right. He sent me to Thessaloniki to study, and while I was studying there at the University of Thessaloniki, I was able to go to Mount Athos quite regularly, and I was meeting some of the iconographers, and I very seriously, this was before I became a monk, very seriously considered making my whole life's purpose to do iconography. I did not, eventually, and, and studying there at the same time, I don't know if you know uh, Tom Clark. Tom was a student at our seminary, graduate of our seminary, and his wife, Sophia, and they were studying at this at the same time, and he was duly pursuing iconography, and so we became better friends there in Thessaloniki, and I had considered that. I learned a lot about iconography, especially from the Zanile, the Brotherhood of Daniel on Mount Athos, uh-huh. um, but I didn't, that was just another another option that our God was giving me. Yeah, absolutely. Do you do iconography, Cristo? No, I mean, I, I love it. I've, I've studied it, I've how it's put together. Uh, but I never really did. It. Well, you know, that's not that's not true. I did take a workshop, but it was a basic workshop. Yes. Uh, and I cannot. Does, the name, the name, does that name Tom Clark mean anything to you, Chris? Because his brother is a very, very good uh, uh, animator or illustrator of superheroes. Oh, really? I think his name is uh, Bob Clark. 
You might Google him. Yeah, I haven't absolutely. talked to him in many years. Okay, yeah, definitely. No, it's yeah, it's something um, I had considered pursuing, but I went other routes through art school and uh, graduated in illustration and design as well. Oh, you uh, did? Yeah, wow. and, I, and I did freelance uh, full-time for about 12 to 13 years in advertising and publishing editorial. Well, yeah, I moved, right up I moved, your Yeah, I moved more into art direction later and then kind of back and forth and got into comics again. So, yeah, I've had an interesting... Uh, this is your you know, profession, actually. Yeah, well, I'm pushing... I'll, I'll be 50 this year, so I've had a... You know, I've been out of art school for, oh, gosh, 28 years now. So yes, Understood, yes. but it's 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 your work, it's your life's work. You are a professional artist, yes. illustrator. Yes, yes. Wonderful, yes. Mike Griffin. That's it's so beautiful. What a great gift. Thank you, thank May you. May God give you health and long life to uh, share that gift. I wanted to share a quick, quick little story, if I could. You mentioned Telly Savalas. Well, my my mother's aunt, uncle, um, were up in I think Brooklyn. Probably in the late seventies at an anastasy service, and they happened to be filming an episode of Kojak that week. And he had come to the anastasy service at the church in Brooklyn, where they were visiting his mother and father for anastasy. And uh, it turns out that they they saw him in the service and then abruptly leave halfway through. So and he looked upset, and they followed him out. My um, this is my great uncle, my great aunt, and he was oh, leaning over. He was leaning over a car, and he was sobbing and sobbing. And they went up to him and said, "Are you okay, Mr. Savalas?" He goes, "Oh, it's just such a beautiful service. It always just brings me to tears like this. It's it's so wow. close to like being to God, being with God at this point." So I just thought I would share that story since you mentioned him earlier. That is beautiful. I, I did not know that. I know that I know that Telly Savalas was from New Jersey, but I wasn't sure. The only thing I will I will say is that uh, um, my dad used to love Kojak. Oh yeah. And and he, he used to say who loves your baby all the who time. Who loves your baby? Yeah, my <laughs> uncle used to say it all the time. Who loves and, your baby? And I remember when I was when I was a seminarian, uh, Father, you might remember this, but when I was a seminarian, um, on breaks, occasionally I would travel with his eminence, uh, our, our metropolitan, metropolitan Yerasmus, and then after seminary for three years. So we used to travel, I, I traveled with him for six years off and on um, here and there. But I remember going to St. Sophia and going to Northridge as well. And at Northridge, okay. um, they, had some, they had some pictures of Telly uh, in one of their, in their hall somewhere, like in their hallway or something. Because I guess he sure. or he used to support or something. Um, and then he you hosted know, a Greek festival or something like that. Oh, you bet. Wow. Having, having mentioned uh, His Eminence, Yerasimos, Sebastiotatos, I'm very, very My tenure at three different he was always very encouraging, and I know he has always been encouraging to people who have different fields to urge them on to, the, to use their talents. He's very, very sensitive about that, and I appreciate that about him, and I ask his blessings as we now have this have had this uh, discussion today because he's a great great man and a very very sensitive truly spiritual leader of our church here in the Americas. Thank you. He's definitely become a he's um, definitely become a father for me as well and for I know all our priests here. So thank God. Yes. Um, yeah. Apuli, I was going to say I was going to ask you rather when we spoke briefly um, a few weeks ago, uh, I mentioned to you that I that I enjoyed superheroes and so does Chris. We're both big fans, but. You talked a little bit right. about, about the theology, and I was very impressed. You said how 
some of the stories that uh, superheroes have been in, um, you know, kind of portray them or at least depict them as some kind of a uh, messiah or savior kind of archetype. Um, do you want to talk a little bit Absolutely. about Absolutely. All right. I appreciate the question, too. It's about the prototypes or the archetypes that superheroes are. The Superman and the Spider-Man. <laughs> wow. You're not getting that. Hello? Uh, now, we, now you're back. Now you're back. Hello? Yes, now you're back. Can you hear us? Uh, I can't. Maybe I, I think I just saw a um, satellite. Of the, maybe we're more in contact now. Anyway, I did say, and you're going to probably edit this, some of those things, that I appreciate very much the archetypes and the prototypes that superheroes are, the Superman and the Spider-Man and so forth. Because as a young person in my youth, teenager and so forth, they were very, very important. Uh, role models, but ultimately we don't want to get lost in that because, of course, that is one good remnant in the Western world that has some semblance of Christianity still that gave important role models to people. But ultimately, of course, Christ is our Savior. He is the ultimate role model, and then his followers, his best friends, and John the Forerunner, who we honor today, all of the saints and martyrs. So hopefully, somehow, I don't know who's going to do it, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we develop superhero saints, saints, or or depict the saints illustratively as we do the superheroes, maybe for our children and for our youth? I don't know. There but is, they are very important. You'd be surprised, actually, Father. There's, there's a, a gentleman in uh, Canada who discovered my blog at some point, and we've been talking about having him on the uh, podcast as well. Uh, his name's Michael Elgamal. He's Coptic Orthodox, and he's done a couple of. He did a graphic novel of Saint John the Short, who I guess obviously the, wow. monastics, the monastics in Egypt are very, very big, and his his family loves those kinds of stories. So I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, there there uh, there's a few out there just a little privately, but yeah, I'd be I'd love to see. Some. Yes, yes. Father, you mentioned also the superheroes. You, I was always into that as a kid as well. But you'd be surprised to know, or maybe not surprised. I would say I got into it more than ever when I got to seminary. <laughs> I, really? I, I think when I just started thinking about uh, becoming a priest and being a role model for others, I just started identifying it with, with it a little bit even more. And uh, right. probably to some degree um, was part of what inspired me to include it as a, as a component of ministry, of my ministry. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, it makes perfect sense, Father Nico. It really does. Uh, it, uh, it, 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 it very one simple thing, one simple thing. Of course, this has to be taken very sensitively and, and understood in, in, in its deepest sense because we offer our love and God honors us as priests to be donning our vestments to serve him and to serve his people. But when we put on our... Uh, the prayers, the prayers, yes, the cuffs, yes! The cuffs <laughs> and the feloni, it's very much like what we saw that the superheroes had they have cuffs they had their cape and so forth and not to take that too far because we have to be careful of course but it's similar it really is similar but we shall we say saints basils and saint gregory's and chrysostom's came first so the superheroes without maybe even knowing it all the time are based on the church leaders as those good doers i love it Without, without exactly mentioning Christ, without exactly mentioning salvation, and so forth. Sure. Well, I think, I think in general, there's something ingrained in all of us that just identifies. I mean, human beings, you know, we we are all created in the image and likeness. 
and we are all drawn to good. I mean, I, I use this in sermons all right. in psychology. You'll hear that we are not created for evil. We are created for good. I mean, if, if someone, sure. someone says one negative comment to someone, it takes five positive comments to counterbalance one negative comment in one's in one's own emotional state or one's one's soul because we are we are yeah. designed, we are not designed for evil so i think that i think that these kinds of stories just resonate with people um maybe because of that imprint um of of god on our heart a little bit so i agree absolutely with, I agree with you father yeah well father it sounds, well, like, it sounds like you're getting further and further away and closer and closer to where you have to go so uh, I am, and I'm going to ask your leave, but I'm so very grateful, Father Nicholas, Chris, to be Thank you so much. The continued use of the technology to share with our people and our, especially our young people, keep them Father, close. Maybe we can, forgive me, I, I thank you so much, and maybe we can do a part two sometime, or maybe do a, maybe some kind of a, a drawing thing or something, you know, uh, that we can Absolutely. do YouTube, or maybe even iconography, who knows, but anyway. I know you're very busy, Father Mo. So um, I'm soon to arrive by your prayers, Father Nicholas. Chris, also yours, and pray for you. Father Panayotis Harrison, who we will uh, absolutely memorialize this evening. And my love out to all those who are listening. And uh, as we say, keep the faith. God is with us. That's the God of Father Tina Jesus. Thank you. Panayotis Napoli. Panayotis. God bless you. God bless. Have a good evening. <laughs>